Chattahoochee, copyright 2023, by Randy Cooper. All rights reserved. No parts of this podcast may be used or reproduced by any means without the expressed written permission of the author. Chattahoochee, Chapter 1. The Chattahoochee River is a watery serpent gliding a twisting path from its lair in the North Georgia mountains down to the sea. Along the meandering path, it visits small towns and backyards and journeys through metropolitan Atlanta. The lazy water runs at a distinctly southern pace, unconcerned with the destination, yet savoring the journey. Known for its variety, its wit, and depth changes frequently, mostly concerning itself with the rocks it meets along the way. The green water yields little, but after a rain, it disguises itself as a ruddy brown, made so from runoff of red Georgia clay. Water throughout history means life, a life-sustaining water supply, a channel for waste and runoff, and occasionally recreation. Dog days is an old southern term for the hottest days of August when heat and humidity combine to become sheer torture for all. The river brings relief when its cold mountain water touches hot sweaty skin and the people flock to its comfort and beauty in ways only one firmly attuned to nature can appreciate. It's generally not a place for the elderly or young families because of its rocky ground surrounding her. Nor is it a place where strangers easily find places which are safe to reach her waters. On days like today, you'll mostly find high school students out of school for the summer and 20-somethings who were able to convince their naive or stupid boss that they were genuinely ill on such a beautiful day. Today's uniform of the day is summer casual, really casual. Cut-off jeans, t-shirts, and strap-on sandals. The girls may opt for a bikini top, which frequently is removed in direct proportion to the number of cold beers consumed. This place was long ago dubbed the Toilet Bowl because of an eddy that creates a whirlpool where the adventurous dive into and it spits them back out 20 feet downstream. Another feature close by is Island Ford, created when water upstream couldn't decide to go left or right and chose both. On the island, just upstream from the Toilet Bowl, you can see a rope tied to a branch extending out over the water. No one is quite sure who hung the rope or when the rope was tied there. It's just been there as long as anyone can remember. Life on the island now isn't like it was before the National Park Service came and took it over and claimed it as a national park. It used to take hours to walk along a rocky tree-rooted path just to get here. The alternative was to park on the other side of the river near the road, wade across the river, and risk your car possibly getting towed. 
Worse yet, if your timing was really bad, the police would be waiting at your car when your afternoon was just coming to an end. Bad news after a full afternoon of blunts and beers. It's different today, with a driveway that goes to a huge, freshly paved parking lot, concrete steps, and wide, well-marked trails leading the masses right to the water's edge with their strollers and their children and granny and grandpa and everything pure suburbia just smothering the way that it used to be. The hardiest of souls, especially the party hardiest of souls, step back to simpler days and venture to the island for its privacy, security, and to separate themselves from the legions of others marching to the chillingly cold waters for instant relief. On the island, the air is full of the smell of warm beer, the sound of electric guitars, and the persistent, sweet, heavy odor of pot. The ground is littered with cigarette butts, empty beer cans, and the occasional used condom. The evidence of good times linger here that would send any pure naturalist into convulsions. Matt has been waiting for this day ever since his steady girlfriend Beth convinced her mom that yes, of course Matt's a good driver, and yes, mom, it's safe out there. Matt's version of good driver means he feels comfortable with speeds in excess of 100 miles an hour, and safe means we probably won't get busted. Matt's best friend Jeff and his girlfriend are part of the deal he made with Beth. It's not that Beth likes Sheila all that much. She's really a little intimidated because Sheila's got big boobs, and Beth's betting that Sheila is going to end up taking off her top before the day is over. B-Cup Beth is firmly against such foolish behavior, not so much out of morals, but out of modesty. She felt it was good, though, to have another girl along, any girl, in case Matt started getting carried away. Matt, on the other hand, has his hopes set that just the right combination of Michelob, music, and marijuana will upgrade heavy petting to going all the way in the course of one sweltering summer afternoon. While Beth's breasts may not be fully developed, her woman's intuition is, and for this reason she insisted that Eddie, Matt and Jeff's best friend since first grade, should not miss out on such a marvelous excursion. Sure, Eddie's a little overweight, but he's a lot of laughs. A fifth wheel, and a large one at that, is good insurance in Beth's mind, and that was that. The day is progressing wonderfully according to all. Matt and Jeff carefully sealed a half an ounce of some fine green into a Ziploc baggie to protect it on the journey across the water to the island. Beth did the same for the new iPhone her daddy got her for her 16th birthday, just in case Princess needed anything. It's not that Beth isn't participating in smoking. She's enjoying herself, but doesn't want to get out of control. Sheila, on the other hand, hasn't been in control for hours, except when she's ever so gently brushing her large breasts against Jeff. The boys are content showing off for the girls, who can go the furthest and the highest on the rope swing. The girls are happy watching, sipping their beers and sneaking off in the woods to pee, 
while the other one keeps an eye out to make sure the boys aren't peeking. Eddie, sufficiently stoned, is sitting waist-deep in water, drinking beer, taking it all in. A thought rises in Matt's mind that the best way to get Beth to strip naked and beg him to ravage her is to scare the ever-living daylights out of her. Such is the mind of the adolescent male. So, the plan is to appear as if Matt is submerged, but in reality, he swims downstream, sneaks back up on the island through the woods, and scares searching Beth half to death. That was the plan, anyway. When Matt entered the water, he'd taken a huge breath and proceeded to swim downstream quickly. The current of the water helped increase his momentum even farther, but he wanted to stay underwater as long as possible till he was right at the shoreline to be sure that she didn't spot him. As he neared the shore, he began clawing for roots or a log or something to grab hold of to assist him on the slick bank. And that is when he met Meredith Boxster. More precisely, the body of Meredith Boxster. A running, screaming, bloody murder, Matt, arrived back at the rope swing and fully convinced Beth to use her cell phone to call 911, although she could say nothing more at the beginning than a flurry of oh my gods. Matt, with his mind reeling of the grisly find, tossed his cookies, and with it, any expectation of getting into Beth's pants that night.